Thanks, band. Thanks, Daniel, DJ, Hermonai, Leanne, Anki, Arnu, and Andre at the back there. The worship team, the, un the unseen worship team. Hey, on it. Blacker. Okay. So today I feel like I need to have a, a dad talk. And it's one about the realities of life. Because I don't know about you guys, but um, you know, I became a Christian when I was 2010, and church is amazing, and Jesus is amazing, and it's like you've got butterflies in your stomach, and you're riding this train, and then all of a sudden, life happens. Things don't work out. People walk out on you. You fail. You mess up. You fall. And how do you deal with that? How do you, where, where do you go from there? Because you were promised in the Bible life and life in abundance, right? So is the Bible a liar? Is the Bible lying to you? Or is there something else going on? What does it mean when the Bible says life and life in abundance? Okay, what does it mean when it says that you'll be a conqueror, more than a conqueror? And that was a hard thing for me. I flunked out of varsity, basically. And it's like, but I'm, I'm a Christian. God, I served you. I ran camps. I took missions. And you let me fail, you know. And it was a tough pill for me to swallow. And how do, how do, how do you deal with that? When the Bible says that you've called, he's called you to be more than a conqueror, that there's life and life in abundance, and yet life happens. People let you down. Circumstances let you down. You don't get that job. You don't pass that test. What, what do you do? Are you guys with me? Am I the only one that's ever messed up in this room? Yeah, I'm sure a lot of you are going, yeah. And this is, this is part of a, a, the, the Christian's walk. And it is a predictable, observable Path. So you are a Christian, you're on this journey, it started when you met Jesus, and if I can recommend a book, write it down, the book is called Pilgrim's Progress, I recommend you go read that book, it's an amazing book, um, and it will definitely get your expectations right. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, if you're looking for an easy religion, I don't recommend Christianity at all, <laughs> he said it's not easy, right? I love that. But the path of a Christian is predictable. It has predictable challenges. It has observable challenges. Okay, so the number one thing that is predictable is that the first while, when you meet Jesus, it's like falling in love. You meet this girl, and you can't, and you start messaging and she messages back, and it's very cute, and everybody's grossed out around you. Like, you know, get a life, and it's all-consuming, and it's time-consuming, and your mind's always there. And I see some of the, the young couples are smiling at me. And it's so cute. So moy. Right? And then, you know, as you begin to be friends more and more, you know, you get a bit familiar with each other, and that one thing, you know, where 
she'd make coffee, but it, you know, she's really bad at making coffee, and it used to be cute, and now it's just getting annoying, because you know what, you want a good cup of coffee, you know, it was very cute, haha, you suck at making coffee, but then after a while, you want a good cup of coffee, or you know, there's a, the way she laughs is very cute, and then you're watching a movie, it's the best part, and you love this movie, and then she starts laughing, you're like, this was the best part, you know, the little things start creeping in, you know, a little bit of familiarity. It's not quite what you expected. And you were told that, you know, when you found the one, all of this stuff will work out. And I don't need to work. You know, Andy Stanley, he's a pastor in the States. He put it really good. He's like, you know, people have this mentality. I don't need to, you know, work on myself because the person that they'll meet, they will compliment my mistakes, you know, and, and the married people, <laughs> that's hilarious, you know, and reality sets in, you know, where you're bad with admin and the person you're going out with is bad at admin and you realize you've got a problem, you know, doesn't quite work out, life happens, okay, and the same with the relationship with God, you know, it's an amazing experience when you first get get um, uh, saved. But the reality is that you still need to go work to get money to pay the bills. Okay? You still need to go study to pass that test. <laughs> and I had this sort of thing when I first got saved. I was like, uh, it lasted, it was very short. It was a very short period. But I thought, no, I, need to, I don't need to study for tests because I'm going to walk into that test and the Lord's going to supernaturally download the information. And I'll just write. It's going to be such a good testimony. And like I said, that, what, that, that thinking didn't last very long at all. I think it was the first test, actually. I think got to the first test. And I, no, that doesn't work. Okay. <laughs> Amen. Oh, okay. And the one thing that I, I began to notice is that somewhere or other there's a mentality where um, we think God promises us happiness. Okay? And it's very, very important to, dis- to distinguish between fulfillment and happiness. God does not promise happiness. Okay? In fact, he says... You will be hated for my name's sake. That's what he promises. He says, you will be persecuted for my name's sake. Okay, you can go read those scriptures. Matthew 10 verse 22, Luke 21 verse 12. He says, he doesn't talk about happiness at all. What does the Bible promise? It promises fulfillment, authority. What else? Does anybody else know? Joy promises joy. Does promise hardship. We'll talk about that just now. Okay, we'll get there. We're going to talk about this now. Okay. But we've got to distinguish between happiness and fulfillment. Okay, we've got to distinguish between success and handouts. And God does not promise happiness or handouts. Okay. So we're going to read, first off we're going to read Matthew 13, and we're going to read the parable of the sower. And in the parable of the sower, 
God or Jesus is talking about this parable. And this is one of the very few parables that Jesus actually explains what it means afterwards. Most of the parables that you'll read in the New Testament, he leaves it up to you and the power of the Holy Spirit to interpret. This is one of the very few parables that Jesus interprets for us. And in it, he, he outlines three hardships that you may encounter. So we're going to start reading Matthew 13 from verse 3 to 9. Um, and then we'll read 18 to 23 where he explains it. Let me just open up my own. Okay, I'm going to read from verse 3. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Okay, so here Jesus talks about three different types of grounds, okay? And these represent three different kinds of states of the heart. So Jesus is talking about the condition of your heart. And these conditions are the, the result of certain hardships. So he's talking about seed that fell on the path, where the birds came and ate it, seeds that fell on rocky ground, okay, where there isn't much soil, so not deep roots, so it sprang up and then after a little while faded away. And then number three, seeds that fell among the thorns or weeds were choked by other plants. Okay, so what does this mean? Let's go to verse 18. Should make them answer it, eh? be funny okay okay so from verse 18 um hear the parable of the sower when anyone hears the word of, of the kingdom and does not understand it the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart this is what is sown along the path as for what was sown on rocky ground this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while and when tribulation or persecution arises, on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches that choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Okay? So we have, number one, a lack of understanding. Okay? And this, this can be for various reasons, either... Um, you know, a, a undesire to learn, to read your Bible. Um, so when the Word of God does come, you, it, it means nothing for you. There's no relevance of it, okay? Number two, there's, there's hardship. Everyone endures hardship, but because there's no depth to the relationship, okay? And this is the one that I, this is the category I found myself in, is... My relationship with God was dependent on a hype of the church. My relationship with God was dependent on my relationship with other people. Okay? So, 
you know, it's, it's fine when you're in church and there's lots of people around you, but your friends don't come with you to write tests, okay? Or when I moved to George, I had a really hard time because my relationship with God was dependent on the hype of a church in Stellenbosch. And so you remove me out of that environment and now I've got to depend on God myself without people. So there's, and there was no depth to that relationship. And so my relationship with God fell apart, okay? And then the third one, and this, this is one I think relevant probably for older people with responsibilities and all those sort of things is the reality of life is that you need a job. You need money. You need, to be, you need a place to live. Um, you want to provide for your kids. You want to have a future, okay? And that, that worry and that stress comes from a lack of believing that God says he'll provide, that he is Jehovah Jireh, the provider, okay? And it's a stress and a burden that you put on yourself, and it, and it chokes you. It literally, it, it feels like it chokes faith. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. You worry about money. You worry about where things are going to come from. It feels like sometimes you can't breathe. Uh, are you guys with me? Okay. There's, there's, there's one thing to note here. The hardships that Jesus outlines have nothing to do with the way people treat you. Let me say that again. The hardships that Jesus outlines have nothing to do with the people around you and the way that they treat you. What do, what do I mean by that? Okay? Jesus, what, what Jesus is pointing out here, okay, not necessarily the main point, but one of the things that he's pointing out is that your success or failure as a Christian is purely on you. In other words, it doesn't matter the friends you have or the family you have, the church you're in, the environment that you're in. You can have a relationship with God independent of the way people treat you. Okay? So just, just keep that in mind as we go on. Because very often things happen and we use people around us as an excuse for things not going well. And I mean that with all respect, okay? Um, I've, I've heard of, you know, um, people, people losing their jobs and they blame their boss. Or um, people getting kicked out of the house and they blame their father and, and not looking at their attitude, you know, or things like that. Okay, you are very, very much in, in control of your relationship with God. Are you with me? You don't have to agree with me. It's okay. So, as as before, we talk about this. There's there's another there's another talk I need to have as a parent, talking to you, my children. As a Christian, you need to count the cost. Okay, so let's open up our Bibles again uh, at Luke 14. Okay, I'm going to read from verse 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, 
when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Just read this verse at verse 34. Listen to this. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be salt? How shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So before we start on this journey as a Christian, and hopefully somebody had this conversation with you, or and if not, I'm having this conversation with you now, okay? Christianity is, is hard. Being a Christian is hard. It's full of hardships. And the Bible tells you, and it is wise, to count the cost. And what do I mean by count the cost? You have to look at what is gained, which means you have to know what is gained, and you have to ask yourself honestly, is it worth the effort? It's an honest conversation you need to have with yourself. So I'm telling you, Christianity is hard. There are many, many things that you are going to encounter that are going to be a stumbling block. You, Jesus said that you will be persecuted for my name's sake. People will hate you for my name's sake. Jesus said that, not me. Okay? You will be despised by the people around you. Okay? You stand to lose everything that you have, every relationship that you hold dear. In fact, what the Bible says is that if you do not hate your mother and your brother and your sister, you are not worthy of following me, of being my disciple. If you want to know what that, how to talk about that, we can talk about that at a different time. But Jesus raised the standards. Okay? He said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter into heaven with one hand than to, than to go to hell with both. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to go to heaven with one eye. Okay, there's a cost. But if you notice, all of us have two hands and two eyes, so... There's a cost involved, and a wise person sits down and has a very honest conversation with them, okay? So, when you do, if you know anything about business, there's always a cost involved, and the way you make, you decide if a, if a business is viable is whether or not the, 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 the profit, whether there's a profit after you minus all your expenses, okay? And that's what you've got to do. You've got to, this is the cost. Do I stand to gain anything from it? Okay, you have to have a conversation with yourself. So then that, that um, you've got to have a conversation in terms of what is there to gain? And then the next question of that is what do you want? What is it? What is it? What are what are you looking for? 
what 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 do you desire do you want money do you want eternal life do you want relationships do you even know what you want okay and this this, this is the big thing we know that we know that there's there's something that we're pursuing and for a lot of people they think that it's money and then you hear of some story of some millionaire who commits suicide and you're like okay maybe it's not money and there's Jim Carrey who said I wish everybody had money so that they knew that that wasn't the answer. Then you get relationships and people get into relationships and then they break up and people get married and they divorce. Okay. Eternal life. Okay, eternal life sounds cool. How does that help me now? You know, isn't eternal life in the next life? What about this life? How's that going to put food on the table? So what is it you want? What is it you desire? And Jesus, I think he gives a clue, and he speaks, he says, in John 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And when I read that, I interpret it not as a list of requirements, but actually something that people are looking for. People are looking for a way. They're looking for a direction, something to put their energy into. People are looking for the truth. People want to know. You watch a movie, you want to know what happens at the end. People study science because there's a curiosity. They want to know the answer. Okay? And people want a life of meaning, a life of purpose. Right? And so when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, how I interpret that is not you've got to meet all these requirements and then you get to the Father. He's saying that everything that you desire, everything that you want, whether you know it or not, is found in me. Okay? And the amazing thing about the way, the truth, and the life is that you can contrast them to the hardships that Jesus outlines in the parable of the sower. So the number one is the seed that falls on the path. Okay? And what happens to the seed that falls on the path? The crows come and they steal the seed. And to me, this is very, this is very evident of, of people that, that um, for example, there's many, many people that come to church and they're like, yes, man, I've got this message. This message, I'd love to share it in front of the church. Or, yes, I've got this idea for the sermon. I'd love to preach the sermon. And then, you know, you, you do some digging or it, it comes out that the person, you know, they're messing up some relationships. There's, there's sin behind their lives. And it's like, there's a word that has been given to them, and through their own sin, it's been stolen. Because if you knew, okay, that I was cheating on my wife, it doesn't matter what I say in front of you, you aren't going to listen, right? So I might, have, I might have the way, I might be able to show you the way, but you aren't going to listen if my life doesn't look like it. 
right? It's a practice what you preach scenario. And there's many people like that. They receive a truth, and because of their unwillingness to, to let go of sin, the enemy comes and steals it. They ruin their own platform. Okay? And Jesus says, I am the way. What is he saying? He says, I am the example. I'm the one who laid it all down. Okay? Why? So that you may have life. My life's mission was so that you could have life. Okay? He says, after, after he was resurrected, he says to the disciples in John 13, verse 34, he says, A new command I give you. Love others as I have loved you. Every decision that I made was not for what I wanted. It was so that I could be an example to you. And it gives me authority. So what Jesus is saying is that what people desire is authority, a place of leadership, a platform to speak. You want, when you go have coffee with somebody, you want that person to take you seriously. Right? Am I the only one here? You want to be heard. Okay? And, the, and people stop listening to you when what you're saying and what you're doing doesn't match up. Right? And Jesus sets an example here. He says, I am the way. What is the way? Love others as I have loved you. You're with me. Okay? So that's the number one thing. If you, number one, if you desire for people to listen to you when you speak, this new command I've given you, love others as I've loved you. I've spoken about this at length in different sermons. I'm not going to go too much on it. And people desire truth, or at least people think they want to know. So some, sometimes, you know, I talk to somebody and they say, yeah, I'm an atheist and I don't believe in God, and that's fine. That's their, their decision. Um, and when you, when you delve a little deeper, um, you know, you, you often find out that the person isn't an atheist. Their biggest thing is that they like to party. And they, they choose a worldview that suits their lifestyle. And many people are like that. Many people do not really know what they believe, including Christians. It's they have a lifestyle, and they choose an ideology that suits their lifestyle. And what Jesus comes and he says, um, I am the truth. And for a lot of people, their, their, their lives are so shallow. It's dependent on base animal needs of what I want. And there isn't a deep root of searching for something. And there's a promise that God gives in Matthew 7, verse 7. It says, knock and the door will be opened. Seek and you will find. And the question is, are you seeking? Are you looking for the truth? Because for many people, they get saved, but their lives are so shallow. Because their basic needs is all that they're after. They're after a good light show at church. They're after a good time in town. And when hardship comes... There's nothing to hold them and to anchor them. And what Jesus is saying is that a pursuit of the truth, if you look for, for truth, develops deep roots. 
So when people come, and that's why, and that's why relationships, people walking out, external factors are not an excuse. Because if you have a deep root, a deep desire to seek truth, okay, it doesn't matter what people do or circumstances do. That commitment and that determination to find the truth will hold you in the hardest of storms. So Jesus comes and says, I am the truth. If you're looking for it, you'll find it in me. And he gives this promise. And the amazing thing about this promise, and I've used the scripture with Christians and non-Christians alike, because the amazing thing about that scripture is that it's not dependent on whether or not you're a Christian. Jesus is making this promise. If you look for the truth sincerely, you will find it. If you're, not, if you're a non-Christian, you will come to the conclusion that Jesus is the way. Okay? If you, if you knock hard enough and long enough, that door will be open for you. But do you want it? Or is your motivation just the here and now? The instant gratification. Okay? And Jesus promises fulfillment. And it's so poetic that he uses, his, he uses the examples of thorns. Because it really is a choking scenario, you know. I, I wa- my, my dream is to be able to look back at my life and feel like I've accomplished something, right? And I'm sure if I spoke to most of you in this room, you'd probably agree with me. I want to feel like I've achieved something, I've achieved success. And maybe for you, that success lies in attaining something, a car, money, friends, relationships. For some people, you know, there's a, a desire is just to get married and have a family. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting money. There's nothing wrong with uh, wanting a car, wanting a family. There's absolutely nothing. I think, I, think it's, I think it's godly to want more than what you have. Honestly, I, I do. I think to, to improve, to build, to set roots down. But you've got to understand that that will not bring fulfillment. It's a means to an end. Money is a means to an end. A car is a means to an end. It gets you from A to B. Okay. So what did Jesus say? He says, I'm going to give you fulfillment. But he, but he says it in a very different way. He says, if you want to gain your life, you must lose it. Matthew 10 verse 39. He's promising fulfillment, but he's promising it only if you're willing to lose your life. Only if you're willing to forsake everything else. And this is the scary part. This is the one that I'm talking about. This is what I want to focus on tonight. Because Jesus' mode of losing your life was not just to, not just to count your life as nothing but to embrace suffering. If you want to deal with disappointment, you have to learn to embrace suffering. Because we are a church of suffering. If you want to find your life, you must lose it. Okay? Lose your life for what? For the sake of other people. So Jesus is promising fulfillment, 
And the best way that you can find fulfillment is in laying your life down so that your brother or sister can be saved. If you want to lose your life, you've got to learn to embrace your cross. If you want to find your life, you've got to learn to embrace the cross. You've got to learn that as a Christian, every decision you make, everything that you have, every, every friend that you have, intimate relationship that you have, is for one purpose and one purpose, purpose alone, so that others may know Christ. And as, as a Christian, I can't help you apart from that. If you, if, if if you want to talk about depression or anxiety, I can only talk to you in the context of learning to embrace suffering. And this is not, this is not just a Christian phenomenon. There's a lot of um, clinical psychologists that will tell you people come in and they're afraid of heights or they're afraid of spiders. And a very, very effective means of getting over those fears is learning to embrace them. So people that have a fear of flying, you know, they'll tell, they'll tell you, okay, well, I'm going to come with you, but we are going to go on an airplane together. But you've got to, you've got to choose it. That's, this is the difference. You've got to choose to do it. So your body is wired for fight or flight. So if there's an emergency situation, the serotonin levels go up in your body, the adrenaline kicks in, and you get ready for action. And your body goes into stress modes, and you hear these amazing stories of mothers being able to you know, push cars off their kids and people jumping a story high because their body is wired for that. But long-term, it destroys your body. Long-term, it causes stress and anxiety. And very often, people live in that mode where they're so worried about what's going to happen next. They can't sleep. They can't eat. And it's just it's spiritual. It's chemistry in your brain. Because you're not live. You're not, you're not created to live in a state of fight or flight. And what Jesus came, he showed us in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, verse 39. And he's praying to God. The Bible says that he fell on his face. He was sweating blood and he prays to God and he said, If it is your will, let this cup pass from me. But not my will be done, your will be done. I want to I make a radical statement. Okay, I want to make a radical statement based off the scripture. Jesus did not want to die for you. He did. It's not what he wanted. He asked God if that responsibility could be taken away from him. But the power of his life was lived in choosing God over what he desired. When he says, love other people as I have loved you, what he's saying is, choose God above your own desires in whatever interaction you have with people. Okay? If you want to learn how to serve your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your husband or your wife, this is great advice. 
Learn to choose God in a moment where you want something personally. Okay? Just as a side note. So Jesus is in the garden. The next day he knows that he's about to be crucified. As God, he knows what's going to happen. He, has, he is busy counting the cost. And his conclusion as he's doing the sums in his head is that it is better to follow the will of God than my own will. And the next day, he's on the cross, and there's two people being crucified with him. And they say to him, are you not the Christ? Save yourself. Save us. And there's, all, there's this picture of all-powerful Jesus who can snap his fingers and the angels will appear. And he submits himself to the suffering. He embraces his cross. Isn't that beautiful? And in that moment, he owns it. He owns death. He owns his suffering. He, he has brought it under submission. If you want to learn to deal with your, with your disappointment, learn to embrace suffering. Learn to embrace hardship. And in that moment, you will own it. You will overcome it. You will control it. You will put it under your feet. There's either life happens to you and you react or you happen to life. Either people are going to dictate your emotional state or you will dictate your emotional state. Either your circumstances or money will dictate your choices or you will learn to dictate your own choices and your own circumstances. And you have the authority to do that. Are you with me? Let's stand.